Man, super glad you're here this weekend um, at all of our campuses. Um, so it works out to once a month uh, for me, but at a campus it works out once a quarter. We do a meet and greet, and that's where uh, if you're new or if you've been around for a while but you just haven't had a chance to come and, and to meet the pastors, meet Chris and I, just kind of a low-key, informal, ask questions, just kind of like figure things out. We do meet and greets, and one of the things, Adam, is that uh, uh, Q&A happens, and it's kind of interesting because people come from so many varied backgrounds, uh, and at one not too, too long ago, in fact, it was at the Lone Tree Campus, um, when you walk into that campus, when it was built, uh, we used a particular material on the outside. It looks really durable, but in fact, it's real easy to puncture, and birds are attracted to it to build nests in it. We did not know that when we built the church. Um, and it was doing a tremendous amount of damage. Each hole to repair was in the hundreds of dollars. And so we were trying to figure out, okay, how, how do we keep these birds from making nests in the building? And um, we researched that and we looked all over and there were two things that we came up with that we thought were uh, cost effective. Now mine was simply, um, I'm going to buy a pellet gun and sit out in the back <laughs> and um, pick them off that way. But that's, that's a no-no. You can't, you can't do that. Um, but it would have been fun and reasonably in its cost. Um, sorry, that's, uh, I know, I know. Some of you are like, that's it, I'll never be back. They're woodpeckers. So, um, so here's what we came up with. Uh, they actually sell the speaker system that sounds like a hawk attacking a bird. It shrieks really loud. And if you ever leave here and you hear that, it's not children in the nursery. It's actually a recording that scares the birds away. And then the other thing that we did was we put these owls, uh, because owls are like a natural enemy of these particular birds. They're not real, but they look real. And they sit right on the corner. They don't move, but a bird apparently thinks, hey, that's a real thing, and I can't go down there. And so we put these, these owls up. And um, if you ever happen to go to that campus when you're walking out or walking in, notice them sitting there. So we do the meet and greet. I do the question and answer. And I have a person ask me one time, said, um, man, what, what are those birds about out there? And I said, well, we're trying to keep these woodpeckers from getting in. And a guy goes, well, I read this thing. I mean, you know, owls are like a uh, satanic ritualistic thing. Is there like a hidden message in this thing that you're doing? I said, no, it's, it, I promise. We love God. We are not for the devil. I promise. That's what we're, we're doing. And he goes, well, I hear this shrieking. And it, and it says, I think it's like demonic in its, in its thing. I said, it's, I, it does sound that way. Because these birds are from the devil, I assure you. It's, it's the truth. But there's really nothing to it. It's as innocent as what I'm, what I'm telling you. Uh, but the person just, you know, really uh, had this, this, this opinion about it and um, was so convinced they never came back, to be real honest with you. He decided that's, I, I just, I'm not sure that I believe that. Sometimes, um, you know, those mindsets, those religious mindsets that can set into people, you try to tell them, hey, it's, it's not what you think. This is not, there's no, it's just... We really are having this bird problem, but this person was just like had this, this um, legalistic mindset that there just has to be something more to it. And just, you know, and I, I just really try to tell them, man, it, it's, it's um, I know it, it, it's just not an essential. But the person was just so convinced it was an essential that it kind of guided their life. Now, I, I say that and we laugh about it, but you know, we all have those things that enter into our Christianity and enter into our belief system, and they become so important to us. Like, there's just God, you know, I just don't like that, or I just don't want that, or I just don't agree with that. And, and if you could just step back, like most of us would look at that and go, there's nothing to that. But, you know, that's because that's not our thing. 
We all have them. They're all in there. And so kind of as we come into the first of the year, we picked a message that's dealing with the non-essentials. And it actually is talking about what the essentials are. And I've been narrowing that down. What's really essential? What are the hills we should die on? What are the most important things? I just made this statement. You know, first of the year, so many people make New Year's resolutions. And they do it in three areas. Usually it's physical. That's the one that people, I want to get in shape. I want to lose weight. I want to eat right. Take care of myself. Uh, another big one is spiritual. I want to get my life together that way. Uh, my children are getting older. I want to get them into church. Or, you know, um, sometimes it's because we, we see something happening in a negative way and we want to turn it around. Or we just realize, um, man, I, I'm just not where I need to be with God. And I'm, I, I want that. And so churches many times in January get a big bump. I want to say it one more time. It's a wonderful thing, and I want to encourage it, but here's what I really want for you. Uh, like a health club, I don't want you just to come for January and then be gone. I want you to be here. I want you to grow. I want you to find community. Even when we talk uh, every weekend about finding a small group, we're not doing that because um, we're just trying to find things to fill up your time. Here's what we really know. You can like a message, but unless you find community, it's not enough to keep you. And the truth of the matter is the enemy will, there'll be a time where the enemy will, man, he'll cause things to happen in life that without community, um, (laughs) without community, he sets us up to pick us off, doesn't he? It's just what happens. So all of these things that I'm talking about, these are the essentials. These are the things that if you're making resolutions, these are the ways to, to enforce those things, to see them to see them happen. The last one is just financial. People decide, hey, I want to um, get my financial house in order. Such an important thing. One of the small groups we offer uh, is on those things right there. You might want to check that out if you're interested in that uh, and taking care of that. Um, I just tell this first story because this, uh, this weekend, um, I'm going to go a little bit further in non-essentials and essentials. I just want to make a statement right off the bat. I had a little fun with the owl thing and the recording of the bird, but let let me say this about non-essential so that you understand that I get it. Just because it's non-essential doesn't mean that it's not important. Non-essential doesn't mean it's not important. It can be very important, but it's just not an essential issue to heaven. Does that make sense? It can be an important issue, but it's not an essential issue. Issue. It's not a salvation issue. Uh, it may be a life and death issue. Like getting this information um, might save something. It might keep something. It might heal something. But it's not a heaven and hell type of an issue. And so when we talk about the essentials right now and what we're talking about in church, what's the essentials? And the one thing that I've just said we have to agree on is that Jesus has to be the essential for us. So everything else, man... it. It really is a non-essential. It might be important, but the thing we have to agree on, the thing that we march forward together as a church, is that we love Jesus. Let's agree on that, that we're going to pursue Jesus. Uh, Even if we have other things that are like, man, that bothers me, or I'm not sure I would do it that way, or I I just don't know, you know, those are non-essentials. Maybe not important, but the essential thing is Jesus, and can we come together over that issue? All right, Uh, the Apostle Paul... um, in talking about like the importance of essentials versus non-essentials, he talks about um, personal liberty. Things that, 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 the way that we live our lives, that uh, some people have a clear conscience on doing certain things, and as long as their conscience is clear before God, it's okay. But other people who could go to the exact same church could have a conscience issue over something. 
And if you do what somebody else did because it's not clear in your conscience, it's actually a sin for you. Does that make sense? So when I say non-essentials, Ben, non-essentials don't mean non-important. They're just not heaven and hell issues, but they can be issues that create life and death. Life and death. All right, so I'm going to read from the book of Romans, chapter 14. Here's what I did. I think the longer that I teach, the more I realize that instead of just using two or three scriptures and then me giving the bulk of it, I think, man, read what the scripture says, let it speak for itself, and then bring out the things there. So this is Romans 14, all of it. It's not a very long chapter, but I want you to hear the context of it because it's really cool, and it will really help us as a church move forward in how to love Jesus and how to love each other. Did you hear what I said? How to love Jesus and how to love each other. So this is Romans 14. Uh, it's 23 verses. just begins this way. Paul's writing to a Roman church. It's not a, uh, a Jewish church. These are not Jewish converts. These were pagans in the Roman world who became Christians. Uh, except other believers. Can I? Those three words, man. Hey, can you just say them with me? Except other believers. It doesn't say except everybody. Although that's not a bad idea to love everybody. But it does say except other believers. Except other believers who are weak in faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Or, in other words, don't get in a battle over non-essentials. Don't do that. It's not worth it. It doesn't help. People have different opinions about things, and they're in different places. And they may not have the background or the understanding that you did, but do this, man. Love each other. All right, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. So let me just stop, and let's just substitute a few things. Uh, Some believers believe it's okay to drink. But some believers, man, have a problem with it, and they don't. They believe that it's harmful. We don't need to argue with each other, fight with each other about it. We make room for each other to have different opinions, yes or no. It's not an essential. That doesn't mean it's not important, but it's not a heaven or hell issue. Thank you for that great amen right there. I I get it. Okay. So those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. So if it's okay for you to do certain things, you don't look down on other people who don't feel it's okay. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn or judge those who do. Isn't that funny how those two things happen? A person who feels okay about it tends to look down like, you need to grow up. But a person who doesn't looks at another one and is like, you know what? You need to become spiritual. Isn't that funny how that works? Do you, do you see the religion is that the devil gets in the middle of that thing right there? All right, so those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who do eat certain foods must not condemn those who don't. For God has accepted them both. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Boy, what a wise statement that is. Their own masters will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. In other words, what's going on inside of you? What's God saying to you? Not what is he saying to somebody else, but what is he saying to you? Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. So some of you, man, this weekend you're here on Saturday, right? You like Saturday because you've got other stuff going on Sunday. This was a real good one for all of you to have said amen to that. But some people, believe it or not, some people are just like, it's just not part of my tradition. For some, it's against their religion to go on Saturday. Got to go on Sunday. That's the day you go to church. So those who worship the Lord on a special day do it uh, to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before they eat it. 
And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. So both groups have this thing in common. The ones who do it give thanks to God for it. They worship Him. The ones who don't aren't doing it because they're trying to worship the Lord. Both are worshiping God. But they're in two different places. Isn't that funny how that could work? You could have two people in two different places at the same time. But they're both trying to do the one thing, which is love Jesus. What did I say? Our common bond in this room is not all of the non-essentials. That doesn't mean non-important. The essential issue is altogether, let's love Jesus, man. Whatever we do, let's love Jesus. Those who refuse to eat eat certain foods also want to please the Lord, give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Interesting. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be uh, Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God to give answer for what was in our heart. For the scripture says, as surely as the Lord lives, says the Lord, every knee will bend, every knee will bow, uh, every tongue will declare or confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, Not a corporate, but a personal. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another another, that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know, and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong for me to eat. But if someone else believes it's wrong, then for that person it is wow. And if another uh, believer is distressed by what you eat. You are not acting in love if you eat it. It's quiet. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Uh, Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat and drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen to that. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for... um, let us aim for harmony. <laughs> I want to say it one more time. Let us aim for harmony. harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat, what you drink, what you drive, what you wear, where you go, what you watch. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. Hmm. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. Boy, how wonderful is that right there. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat it or drink something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. So if it's not from faith, it's sin. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Wow. It's pretty straightforward scripture, huh? The reason I read the whole thing, I just think, man, this is an instruction to a church that, man, you don't want one or two verses. You want to see that whole thing to get the context of the freedom we have in Christ, but it's judged by a person's conscience and two people who love God, who are both going to heaven, who are going to spend eternity together can be in two different places when it comes to on this earth at the same time. For some people, it's okay to do certain things and for others, it's not okay. And it really comes down to what's in your conscience. And then he just gives rules for how to work it out in church. But this part I love more than anything. Let us work for harmony inside the church. 
And why is it that so many churches work for disunity? Somehow the enemy finds ways to bring division. He uses non-essentials to bring division inside of churches. And if we use the rule of love, which is, if it's okay in your conscience before God, it's okay. And if it's not okay in your conscience before God, then don't do it. And if you do it and it makes another stumble, then don't do it in front of them. Do it between you and God. Use love as the rule. Don't make it difficult for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. So we're talking about essentials, non-essentials. If you have a pen or pencil, I'll just give you four things that I think are really interesting when it comes to this issue that I think could help you really grow and really understand where another person is at, make room for a person, make allowances for a person, work on the harmony issue. If you're using the online version of the new uh, version notes, that's, that's awesome too. So number one, um, let me just talk about protocol for believers real quick. Protocol for believers. Believe it or not, there is such a thing as protocol for believers. Verse 1 of that scripture is just so clear in what we're supposed to do. Accept other believers. The greatest protocol inside of a church should be the idea. It doesn't say accept the world and all of their beliefs. It's talking to believers. It's talking in the context of people who have bowed the knee to Jesus. It's talking to people who together worship when they come together. So it makes this statement, man, do this thing when you get together. Make room for other people to have disagreements, but don't let that be the thing that divides you. Accept each other. My goodness, we can be known for so many things. This church could be known for it. There, there's, a, there's a good teaching at that church. There's good youth ministry at that church. They, they do outreach at that church. They spend a lot of money on, on missions at that. We could be known for a lot of things. You know what I want people to say about us? That group of people gets along really well. Man, if you go in there, those people will love you to death. Wouldn't you love that to be said about our church? People like, dude, it freaked me out they loved me so much when I went in there. How good is that? Because for most churches, how often is it said, that group of people knows how to fight with each other, man. They are some of the best fighters you have ever seen in your life. Gosh, we could be known for so many things. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be known that we accept each other in this place? Now, it's really important because this is an instruction for the world at large. And we live in a day, look at me real quick. We live in a day and an age where we misunderstand this. We think, and, um, and in particular generationally, a younger generation very much thinks today that the way of the Lord, here, here's God just wants us to, to, to love everybody. And what they mean by love is to accept everybody and everything everybody does. And the context of this scripture, by the way, doesn't say that. It says, in the church, love each other. And somehow the church has forgotten, man, if we would just do this thing, we would actually be attractive to the world. But here's what, we spend our time judging the world on what they do. And we don't pay attention to what we're doing inside. And Paul's giving us advice. Don't worry about that. Worry about this. Make this the highest priority. Build unity. Build acceptance for each other, for other believers. Huh. I talked about this in one of the messages last week, um, our, our faith is supposed to be an attractive issue to people. The world's supposed to look at our faith. I mean, Matt, what, what is the message that we communicate so many times? I'm not sure, but I know I went back to this idea. If you've ever, anybody in here ever heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs? Just a few of you. So, so it was written um, by first-hand 
uh, witnesses to people in the first century when Christians were persecuted in particular uh, by Rome and, and were willing to lay their lives down. They would not reject their faith. They would not um, stand before people, even at the, at the, the, the um, you're going to be tortured, you will be killed, you're going to lose everything if you don't renounce your belief in Christ. They, they were willing, regardless of what it cost me, this is real, I cannot deny Jesus, I'm going to hold on. And I recounted a story uh, of a young lady, one of the first martyrs of the church. She had a little baby, and uh, she, um, she, she became a believer. And there was a great persecution that had gone out right at that, right after she becomes a believer. A great persecution went out. And uh, this particular Caesar uh, was convinced that the Christians of that day were responsible for uh, all of the problems in Rome. He was a, he was a pagan. They believed in a, a pantheon of different gods. And here's what he thought. The, the gods that we serve and that we love are offended because this, this God named Jesus. So many people are following him, and we're going to do this. We're going to get rid of this Jesus and the people who love him, and, and that'll please our gods and bring back the glory of Rome. So his, his decision was, we're, we're gonna, we'll give these people a chance to, to repent of believing in God, of, of believing in Jesus, but if they don't, we're going to put them to death. And the Bible says, or uh, the, 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 the book and the witnesses say that there were, um, there were people who, under the threat of losing their life, uh, did recant. And I don't know if you've ever thought, could you or could you not do that? If you feel like, man, I don't know if I could do that, I just say this to you. Unless you're in the situation, you don't have the grace to do it. So it's like impossible to figure how you do it. It's kind of like, who knows? But in that situation, God would give you the grace to do what you need to do at the time. So with this young, this young lady, she was threatened, if you don't, um, if you don't renounce Jesus, then um, we're going to put you in the middle of the arena here. And it happened to be uh, lions that had been starved, that were going to turn loose on you. And she wouldn't do it. She held on to her baby, and so they came up with a new way to try to get her. They took her baby away from her. And they said, your baby's not going with you, just you. And um, she went into the arena by herself. Um, they had other believers that they had thrown at the same time, but she had to go in without her baby and without her family. Uh, her family had had said, no, we're, you know, we'll... we'll We'll reject Jesus. She went, nope, I can't do that. And um, it's one of those stories where um, God didn't shut the mouth of the lions. It cost her her life, but this is what she did. While it was going on, she began to sing praises to God. And the people in the arena, man, were very bloodthirsty, exceptionally bloodthirsty. And while normally... The gladiators of the beasts were killing these Christians. Normally, they were screaming, they were yelling. What they were hoping was for a bad death where the person would begin to yell, no, no, stop. But this girl wouldn't do it. She just began to sing all that much louder and to praise God all that much louder. And so the witnesses recounted there was this hush that fell over the stadium. Kind of like right now. And she lost her life. But within months of that time, thousands of people began to convert to Jesus. And the church grew unbelievable during this time of great persecution. And they credit her with this because here's what people left. 
if a person would do that, this thing that she believes must be pretty real. And they began to check it out. There's no reason I'm saying, so what is it about our faith that would make people want to check it out today? Thank God we're not persecuted like that. Agreed? But wouldn't it be wonderful if people said, that group of people loves each other so much, I'd like to be loved that way. I'm just asking, what is the attraction model that we offer today? Um, Give up a couple hours on your weekend? Don't go skiing. Come here, John. I'm having fun with this. Did you get what I'm saying? You get it because you're a believer. But people, what, what is our attraction for them to come here? I would just say to you, man, I think part of what he's trying to say here, the attractive model would be if you loved each other this way, people would look at that and say there's nothing else on the face of the earth where people love each other like that. I need that in my life. We're all built to need to be loved, yes or no? We all desire it and want it. We all want to find a place where everybody knows your name. <laughs> Man, her faith was on display in that type of... I just wonder, our faith on display. So what if we were known <laughs> for the protocol of just, God, those guys love each other. All right, just let me... Let me. Uh, two is just simply this. Just make allowances for other believers. Make allowances. Verse 3 just, uh, it says it. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who, who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. The whole idea there is that they just are to make allowances for each other. They're just to just make allowances for it. Realize there's going to be differences of opinion. You're not going to agree on everything. You're not, but it's not essential. The thing that we can't say... Let's argue about Jesus. We can't. There's no other reason for us to be here except Jesus. We're not a social club. We're not a VA. We're not a DAV. We're, we're, not, we're not the Elks. Or, man, we agree to get together because Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected for us. We love Jesus. We can't argue about that. Just look... I, I can't argue about There's just no other room. But how we do communion and if we have drums or... Those are all things, hey, I'll make allowances. We'll do it my way, but I'll make allowances for... <laughs> hey, listen, just real quick. I heard somebody say this um, for many years. And I, I'm going to throw up my... I just kind of took it like, uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So, so people have compared the church to two different things. Some people said it's like a hotel where people just kind of come in, stay for a little while, and then they go and complain about that issue right there. So I agree. I don't want our church to be like a hotel. I don't want it to be a place where you come for just a little while and then you move on in life. So some people said, well, it's supposed to be like a hospital where sick people can come. Well, that's cool. But here's the truth of the matter, man. I don't want to be sick for the rest of my life. Yes or no? It's like, you know, you must be sick if you go there. I don't want people to say that. I want it to be if... I want our motto to be, it's okay to not be okay. But I don't want the motto for the rest of your life to be, I'm not okay. Here's what it should be. I went there and God healed me. I went there and found a place. All right, so I don't want it to be a hotel. Um, I don't want it to be just like a permanent hospital. Here's my eight. What if it was a home? 
So what if you could just come here and find, hey, there's a lot of things I don't understand, disagree. I do a different. But the one thing, they love Jesus. I love Jesus. We can march forward on that thing right there. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, she passed away. They were married a very long period of time. She was awesome. Um, she wrote a book about marriage, and she made this really cool quote. She just said, a good marriage is made up of two good forgivers. So anybody in this room been married for any length of time? Does it feel like it's been a long time? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give both. I'll give you both. All right? It doesn't have to even be it's like, it just feels like the last six weeks have been long, Pastor. And so I just, um, she just said, a good marriage is made up of two good forgivers. So I, a good church is made up of a lot of people who are willing to forgive each other. It just really is, man. It's just, it, it just could be so good if we were just took that attitude so quickly. Three is just simply this. Um, I love what he said about, about the harmony issue. Elevate harmony in the church. You can elevate a lot of things. You can be known for a lot of things. You could be a church that does conferences, does concerts, does all sorts of things. You can be known for a lot of things. They're all good. But I, if I could pick right now and just say, man, what's the one thing when you think about Jubilee, that church is known for this, I would love them to say that is a church where there's just such harmony inside that church. That strife and that all of the, just the stuff that comes with the world, that it just, it can't make it through those doors. And when you're there, there's just such harmony. Because here's what I know about harmony and unity. God commands his blessing in those places. What's disunity is of the enemy and what is unity is of God. Harmony is unity. How good would it be to dwell in harmony with each other? We make so many other things priorities, but what could it be like, man, if we made harmony the thing that we're known for? You know, when you, when harmony's not the rule of the day, then being right is the rule of the day. Here's the difference between the two. Harmony is I don't have to be right. But if harmony's not the rule, then you have to be right. And here's what I know about being right. You can be right, but if you have to be right, you're dead right. You're right, but you kill everybody. But I'm right. But you killed everybody. Do you not understand what I'm saying? But I'm right. Yes, but you killed everybody. You're dead right. Yay. (laughs) You know, maybe this is it. You can be right or you can have harmony. If you don't believe that, I bet you have trouble in marriage. I bet you have trouble in relationships. I bet you have trouble working with people. You can be right. It's okay to be right. But if you have to be right about everything, if you have to be the one that has the final word, the final say, the fi- you're right, but you're dead right. And that's not what the Bible calls us to be. Let's give you the last one, man. Um, <laughs> learn to listen to your conscience. How important is this? Listen to your conscience. Verse 23, um, which is it's, it's the... Towards the end of the scripture, if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, drink something, watch something, go someplace, do this, do that, whatever. Right? What people want is like, give me the list of the things I can and can't do. What are those places I can or can't go? What are those movies? Where's the line? Here's the line. What's God said in your heart? What's God said in your heart? Isn't it beautiful that God gives us the freedom for all of us to hear from God? And we don't need a list from a church of what you have to wear, of what you have to listen to or not listen to, 
of where you can or can't go. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I remember when I, I, I grew up a Catholic kid and in an Assembly of God Pentecostal country church, I heard the gospel for the very first time. And at the end of it, the preacher, if you want this, I want you to get up out of your seat and walk down here. And I did. It actually worked. I got up and walked down to the front, and about 20 people swarmed me. Man, they were shaking. They were shaking me. Some were trying to push me. It was, I mean, it was a, like, uh, you know, you didn't do that in Catholicism. You didn't do that kind of thing. It's like, like quiet was the highest level of reverence. And the church we had was mar- marble floors, marble walls, marble pillars. Everything was so that any noise. Chuck, 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 chuck. <laughs> you, you ever been to that church? So you didn't do anything like that. You know, these people were, they were yelling and they had carpet. And, you know, you could get away with things. But I come, and they're shaking. <laughs> yes. And I'm just, so that part was great, man. I really felt the presence of God. I, I said yes to what God had for me, which began not a one-time process, but a years of process of coming to know Jesus. Do you get what I just said right there? It became a process. But shortly after that, they gave me a list that if you really meant what you said, here's the things you can and can't do now. It was such a beautiful thing. If you need the life of God, come here. I needed the life of God. But within moments, they gave me a list. Now, if you really meant it, here's all the times you have to come to church. Here's the places you can and can't go, the movies you can and can't see, which there were none of them on there. Corey Tinboom, I think, was the only movie I could go see, for those who know. <laughs> How wonderful is it that God does not do that, that God writes His law for your life on your heart, and as you grow in him, he expands the understanding of that thing right there. And that's why people are in different places. But this is true. Listen to this. I've met people in our church who when God met them, he pulled them out of a life where alcohol controlled their life. So for them to go back into it, man, messes them up completely. But I've got other people in our church who never struggle with it, who never had a problem with it, can do it without getting drunk. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? I'm giving you such freedom. But in their heart is the issue. In their heart is the issue. And instead of having to look at what someone else does or get a church to give you a list, here's what God wants you to do. Go to Him and ask Him, how do you want me to live my life? What life there is in that? What freedom there is in that. How good it is for that. Man, that's where the life is. It varies with understanding, convictions, calling, and age. Look, at, uh, at 25, <laughs> my life, what I understood, how I, how I viewed God, is completely different than it is 30 years later. I know so much more about God, and I feel like, here's what I really feel like, I don't know anything about God now. Six months after being born again, I knew everything there was to know about God and could tell everybody about it. Now I'm like, "Mm, let's make allowances and shoot for harmony. Uh, Hebrews 10, 16. Let me just read this to you and I'm done. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day. 
says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Here's what God wants to be able to do with you. He is such, he is such a person. He's the God of the universe who with one word can create, but he's also the personal God that will come and sit with you to talk about what's okay for you and what's not. He's all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere at once, and he also is so close that he wants to be even closer than the, the very breath of your nostrils. He, he wants us, man, to enjoy all he created, but he also wants to come and say, here's the best way for you to do that. He's put it all out there and said, man, I, I did this so that you'll see it all points to the artist in me. But here's how you use it so it doesn't mess you up. And that's so different for everybody. And if we just concentrated on the things that make for harmony and let the Lord speak to us about the other things and just let it happen in our hearts, how good would that be? Wouldn't that be good to go to that kind of church? Instead of the preacher that had to every week tell you, do this, don't do that. Stop this, don't stop that. And some people like that and think that's what it's all about, and that's not it, man. This, God gives us such liberty and such ability. That's why protocol matters. Because Paul said, everything's okay, but not everything's expedient. And how do you figure that out? Talk to God about it right there. Okay, simple message. We talked about this like um, with the pastors. What kind of message is this? I would just have to say pastorally, it's not a corrective message. Uh, it, it's, it's not a, um, a, a prophetic message. It's an instructive message of pastor trying to grow people. It's God that wants you to have such freedom and such liberty, but he wants you to do it in a way where you talk to him about it so that it protects you, protects your heart, and allows you to grow the way that you're supposed to, man. That's what God wants from us. That's how God wants it to be for us. So let's pray. So Jesus, man, we're all trying to live, and we're all trying to learn, and we're all trying to know. And um, so God, for some people, uh, that's, that, that just comes so easy. But some of us have backgrounds, where we, we saw our family or maybe um, we, we had a, a thing happen to us that then interferes with our ability to feel free to do certain things. And that's not wrong. And we tend to, when things are wrong for us, we automatically want to say because it's wrong for us that it's wrong for everybody else. And people think that, hey, it's okay for me to do this, tend to think it's okay for everybody to do this. And what the Bible clearly says is there are people that have two different needs there. And they're not heaven and hell, but they are important. They may not be the essential one thing. But that doesn't mean it's not important. It means, man, that in these issues, we need to make the priority of loving each other. Making room for each other. Concentrating on harmony. I guess the reason that I really teach this is I want us, if we're going to agree together, that Jesus is the reason we gather. There are other things. And those things are maybe not the essential, hey, here's how you go to heaven, but they are essential for how you experience life here and now. God, we want all that you have for us, and I want you to speak to us, because I really want, God, for you to make our church what it's supposed to be. I want to be known for harmony. I want to be known, God, for how we love each other. I want to be known, God, that, man, that's a church that just really does what the Bible says. 
They just really, that group of people just does what God says. Father, help us to do those things and to know those things. God, let us grow this year. Let us put deep, deep roots and grow really, really towards you. God, produce a lot of abundance in our lives because we dig deep in you and we're growing in you. Let it be something, Father God, that other people, man, can come in and just, oh, that's just so good. Father, I just thank you for that. I thank you for the grace, the love, the freedom that you give us, the freedom in Christ. And I bless you for that. I praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And amen. Thank you.